is The After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Happy, happy, happy Friday, Kim Callister. Happy Friday to you. You were great on uh, Friday Fabulous Florida today, I have to tell you. I try. I'm always multitasking now because I'm prepping for the show and I'm loading you yeah. know, photos and rearranging the, you know, the rundown for the show and then trying to like half listen to his show. And, you know, mm, do this. Multitasking affair. I had to drop out of Friday Fabulous Florida for a second because the school called. Oh. And said that uh, today is the pumpkin patch field trip, and my son got uh, had trouble bre- was having trouble breathing out at the pumpkin patch, so oh, my wow. husband had to go pick him up at the pumpkin patch, and I had to coordinate that. So yeah, that happened. Oh, uh, no. You know, so when you see the school calling, you're, the first thing you do is I got to yeah, answer this yeah. one. Yeah, put put myself on pause, and I'll answer it. So priorities, priorities. He's fine. He's home now, and he he did manage to get a pumpkin, so that's all good. Does he have I, asthma? Okay. He, you know what he has? Yeah, kind of. He has, yes, he does, but it's only induced by a respiratory illness. So he has a cold. So anytime um, he gets a cold or any type of something like that, like on the he'll, he'll have, then he has asthma. But like normally, no, he's fine. It's only when he gets sick. So. But he doesn't need like an inhaler. He does when he gets sick. Oh, he mm-hmm. does. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, we are so grateful for sexy named Wes. I like the Ooh. name. I like your name. I never told you that before, Wes. But I think the name Wes is a sexy guy name. Yeah, even sexy. And I'm now, not huh? just saying that for the because you gave us the twenty bucks. I'm saying it because I like the name Wes. 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 West Theory for $20. Happy Friday to you, too. Thanks for being part of the After Party Live and always supporting us like you do. We really appreciate you so much. Also... Kathleen for 20. So wow. thank you, Kathleen. You're awesome. Look at uh, us you go. Guys, thank thank you, you for getting us off the ground. You know, I tell you, when we get the super sticker, it's always like a, it's a mini party in a an after party. You guys <laughs> so appreciate you guys supporting us like that. It's, I feel humble. And, you brought and, snacks and, to the party. And, and, and yeah, that's you brought so a cool. Bottle. Um, and so, yeah, so it's Friday and I'm, I love the Mark Thompson show on Friday with Florida and Avila and Shore, my, my favorite duo followed up by Michael Snyder. So good. So we have some different things for you today here on the after party live. We always like to start with animals and I think we have one today about, uh, a Husky. I used to have a Husky, a Siberian Husky. Yeah. She was white with blue eyes. It was really pretty dog. Oh wow! But this is a different kind of husky. It got stuck on a ledge. Yeah, tell Look us about. That. It. Tell me uh, more. Okay, so you can see this dog up on this ledge. This is in London, and they had to firefighters had to go rescue this dog. Hello. They u- used dog treats and a ladder to pull this husky down. That's a plan. At a home where the dog was perched on a narrow ledge, climbed out a window. It looks like, and then didn't have even enough space to turn around and get back into the window. Yeah, so it was one of these their, oops uh, upstairs yeah. on the right hand side. Yeah, you can see the dog just kind of stuck there. The uh, rescuer said when we arrived at the house, we could see the dog was whimpering and we were worried it was going to fall because this ledge is so narrow. The dog couldn't turn around to get back inside. So they decided to use a turntable ladder with a cage at the end to attempt this okay. rescue. Yeah, the I thought you were going to say they tried yeah. to use a turntable. Wicky 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 wicky. <laughs> that kind yo, of turntable. Yo, yo. Come on, husky. <laughs> so this firefighter who loves dogs, uh 
Oh, Went okay. up the ladder. They had dog treats from the neighbors. He got a collar and some uh, and a lead onto the dog, brought it down to the ground where it finally started to calm down. The dog was home alone when this happened. Uh, yeah. Neighbors think the window was only a little bit ajar and that the husky managed to push it up before climbing out. So, you know, dogs, they get into Very all cool. kinds of trouble. But, yeah, I'm glad that little one is safe. That's good. Very cool. Yeah. Um, this next story could have just been out of Petaluma, but it's not, surprisingly oh. enough. But a six-foot-three steer at Oregon Rescue might be the oh. world's tallest. Oregon Animal Sanctuary said a Holstein steer named Romeo, hey, Romeo, might be the tallest in the world, six-foot-three. The Welcome Home Animal Sanctuary in Cresswell said they decided to seek a Guinness World Record title for Romeo after hearing about the current record holder, six-foot-one Massachusetts steer named Tommy. That is Uh-oh, a Tommy, big watch out. animal. Watch what's out, the, Tommy. Romeo's coming for you. What's the normal size? Uh, shorter. Okay. Shorter, <laughs> shorter than that. Much shorter. Okay. Makes and, sense. Uh, less uh, steroidal looking. Yeah. <laughs> Misty Moore, founder and operator of the sanctuary, said the six-year-old Romeo had lived at the facility since he was rescued from a veal crate. Aww. Aww. Aww look at him now. He's all grown yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that was at when he was 10, year, t- 10 days old. Wow. He was rescued from a lady who went to a dairy and said uh, she saw all the calves from the crates and was able to secure the re- release of five of them. And once she got them from the dairy, she contacted the sanctuary and they were able to take Romeo and uh, Milo. Um, Moore said the sanctuary is in the process of getting Romeo officially recognized as the world's tallest steer. So, hey, buddy. That's an amazing picture. You, usually yeah. when you stand next to us, even a steer or a cow or what have you, yeah. you know, you're about eye level with it, right? I mean, and look how big that one is. Yeah, That's I never crazy. taken a tape measure out to the cows in no. Petaluma, but well, yeah, they're all about live, the same height. You live on, lived on the wrong side of town for that. See, I'm out here in cow country, so. Well, back in the 80s, we actually had cows off of uh, Old Adobe Road. Oh, did Road. you? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we had flashing red lights. There was um, there was a farm where you could basically get KFC, like fresh KFC. You go out there and <laughs> fresh fried chicken. They had all the sides, mashed potatoes, and you know, have you macaroni. ever been to? God, this is so unappetizing, and it's so like non Mark Thompson showish. But there, there's this place in Petaluma that's a slaughterhouse, right? And that used to be Mike's at the yard where you can go out oh, there right. and yeah, 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 there's yeah. a burger restaurant right at, right in the middle of the slaughterhouse. You can right. see the animals in the pen. Yeah, oh, wait. Not, I never went auction. to that location. They had multiple locations. I'd been in the one in Katati. That now does it's, not sound appealing to me. Now it's Roy's at the yard. So it's a hot dog place in the middle of the slaughterhouse. But yeah. that doesn't appeal to me. Welcome to Petaluma. <laughs> Maybe if you're trying to turn people off. Uh, oh, my husband and son love that place. They say the hot dogs are the best they've ever had. They're like, trust us, we don't have any E. coli here. I have uh, a but if you with are it. worried like, about, if you are worried about bacteria, what is this next story, Kim? This is a different kind of animal story, and it's okay. so disconcerting uh, and frightening to me. I know I live in California. It's not here yet, but. It's coming. There is this, this not, not a mosquito, but it's a sand flea, right? So if you're at the beach in a border town, like especially in Texas, like a sand you fly. might get bitten by a sand fly. Yeah. Did I yeah. say flea? Sorry, yeah. sand fly. And if you get munched on by the sand fly, it carries with it a parasite. Okay? Uh. And so when it bites you, the parasite gets into your skin. And then the parasite is a flesh eating parasite. 
And once it starts munching on you, it mm. doesn't stop munching on you. There is no cure. There is no vaccine. Oh, no. There is no anything. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a bad thing. Skin sores caused by the leash mania mexicana erupt weeks to months after someone's bitten by an infected sandfly. The parasite can continue to inflict damage for years, leading to long-term scarring in its wake. But that's not all. It's There's not more. only so it looks like a a pit in your skin, and sometimes uh, some of the pictures I saw this is little in comparison. Yeah. Some of them are like massive pits in your skin, like whole giant hole. But also, if you know it keeps going and it keeps going, you could die. It'll kill you. This flesh eating thing it just eats the skin right out of you. <sighs> People are wow. trying to make sure that everyone's aware of this parasite. It, yeah. They're now finding it in America, again, mostly at the southern border. The The sand fly... Don't tell Trump that. ...is, is uh, mostly on the beaches at the southern border. And then, yeah, it's not... I don't think it's in California yet. Uh, they try to take biopsies. They're not sending their best sand flies. No. Um, That's they, what Ron trying to... They're, telling people. He's they're trying to take that. They're trying to take biopsies to figure out, you know, who has this and and I don't know. It's it's kind of sketchy. They they ship off the biopsies to the CDC to yeah, try to figure out down. if these are the the parasites. Do you have the little sandfly bug? I tried to put the sandfly bug. No, I was trying not to gross people out, but yeah. uh so far I will say it's a very small amount of cases. It's only 50 uh, people infected by the strain of parasite which carried this distinctive genetic changes which set them apart. These are um usually seen in people who travel to other countries, but now it's in America, so you know, the, the problem with this is we saw, like, COVID, things spread really fast. So, yeah. you know, it's in Texas now, and all of a sudden, yeah. it's with us. And by us. the time they get a handle on it, it's usually too late. And, and and it's one of these things where the technology or the information gathering has to catch up to what's happening. Because right now, U.S. doctors don't have to report leash maniasis, which is the flesh-eating part. So it's not a reportable disease in most states. It should be. The CDC is trying to figure out how fast this is accelerating, but because doctors don't have to report it, it's hard to get a handle on on this. Um, yeah, it's a it's a scary thing. So another this, thing to worry about. It is down. So symptoms if you get this flesh eating thing: fever, weight loss, swelling of the liver and spleen. Ooh, it just sounds so unpleasant. It often affects dogs in different parts of the world, but humans can also be carriers. Blood tests are suggesting as many as one in five American soldiers who were deployed to Iraq may have developed asymptomatic infection of this. Oh, wow. Walking around, they don't even know it, right? Yeah. Have you so, ever been on a beach with sandflies? Yeah. The only one, I, I think it was... I never experienced it until I was in the Philippines. Beautiful Nakpon Beach, like um, mm. like a it, it's a beach that has like two sides to it because it like goes mm -hmm. out into a point, so you have double beach. And uh, I was like, oh, it's so beautiful. And then you lay down, you're like, wait, what? What are these clear things jumping on me? 
Yeah. uh, No, retreat, retreat. Yeah. Get out, get out. Uh, It's sometimes it just depends on what's on the beach. Sometimes they're more prevalent when there's like, you know, a lot of kelp or seaweed washed up or whatever. These guys are like permanent residents. Have you ever been on a beach where like all of a sudden it looks clear and it's fine if you're standing and walking around or moving and then you sit down and you become still and all of a sudden all these little mini crabs come out and they're everywhere. Like, you know, it looks like if you stayed still, they could just come eat the yeah, flesh off I've your seen body. A cr- I've seen uh, a crab before, a little mini crab, but not not, uh, not a like, lot of them. Like we're talking thousands of them all no. over the beach. Yeah. No. You're the, you're the beach girl. Yeah. And that's well. why you get your beach theme and all the blues. That's right. Let's talk about the chrome gnome. Yeah. The, all uh, the blues. All the so blues. That we, so that we don't get out of order. <laughs> let, let's. Uh, I wanted you to do this story because I thought oh, okay. it was pretty cool. Uh, this is out of Australia. What is a okay. chrome gnome? It is a 30-foot tall. Do we have a picture? A 30-foot tall we go. gnome sculpture. That is so cool. Uh, that it For four years, it was this, at the side of this Australian highway, and they moved it. So look at them. Putting this chrome gnome on the truck, then on the crane. Yeah. Yes, it's now at a sculpture park at its permanent home. It's called Reflective Lullaby, the chrome gnome. It's so beautiful. I wonder if somebody has to go polish that gnome all the time. If it gets all nasty and it doesn't <laughs> look as shiny. Because the cool thing is, is, is it reflects everything around it, right? So what do you do for work? Uh, I'm a gnome I, polisher. I polish the gnome. Yeah. <laughs> like, Can you imagine euphemism? seeing it on the side of the roadway, though? The glare the- from that gnome in your window? Well, just seeing um, it would freak you out. Yeah. I'm like sure the, there will like be the, regular... The mutant garden gnome. People like, are saying, I'm sure there'll be regular parties and picnics with him now at yeah. this park. Yeah. I am the king of all gnomes. <laughs> Bend down and worship upon me. People dress this gnome up. So he had a football jersey for grand finals. He had a COVID sticker saying, I've been vaccinated. <laughs> he was adorned with Christmas tinsel for the holidays. He, you know, the people like to go and 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 mess around with the gnome. You know, give him a little whatever's happening in the world. He gets a little something something as well. He is thirty feet tall. He is thought to be the largest gnome in the world. I Probably. believe it. Yeah. And they're trying to have him recognized by the Guinness World Records, but um, I guess the paperwork's really tight. Everyone's going for so. the record. Everybody Everyone. wants the record. It's a really cool sculpture. I'm going to say that. I like it. Yeah. This just let's just hope it doesn't come to life. I hope no one steals it. I mean, it had to be moved by crane, so it's kind of yeah. hard. But I would like to have I would put him in my yard for sure. Yeah, I'm sure somebody will like deface it or damage oh, it. Oh, um, that's why we can't have nice things. I know. Be safe out there in the park, Chrome Gnome. But but not as scary as this next story. The Marines have test fired a robot dog armed with rocket launcher. The U.S. Marine Corps recently tested a robot dog toting. You've seen the robot dogs, but now they're training them in the M-72 Infantry Anti-Armor Rocket Launcher Program. This is the latest example of growing interest in the U.S. and foreign military forces, especially the Chinese and Russian armed forces, in the idea of arming four-legged, uncrewed ground systems. In fact, the Marine design looks to be uh, based on a similar, if not identical, Chinese-made commercial off-the-shelf quadrupedal uh, robot that has emerged in uh, the anti-armor rocket launcher uh, uh, industry here. It's a submachine gun configuration in Russia. Uh, members of the Marine Air Guard uh, Task Force, a training command, uh, 
this is a very long name, Tactical Training and Exercise Control Group based at the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center at 29 Palms in California. That's a mouthful. Tested the robot dog back in September. Members of the U.S. Navy's Office of Naval Research were also involved in what was described as a proof of concept demonstration. That is frightening. Can you imagine running upon, uh, coming up upon one of those? Here, boy. Here, boy. <laughs> Come on. Uh, you're muted, by the way. You've been talking to yourself. It looks like it has cameras in the front of it. Yeah, well, I'm sure it does. So but... is someone sitting in a room controlling this thing? E e theoretically, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But still, it moves in a very futuristic, scary way. Uh, I don't know. Between this and the uh, the uh, driverless cars, <laughs> they're coming for us. We're, we're creating our own downfall, right? We're setting ourselves Jim's, up. I love who says, Pfft, I'd make an eight-legged spider so it can climb and hold onto the ceiling and have it shoot napalm. Yeah. Oh. But this is the future of war, I guess. It's uh, pretty frightening. Anyway, there's a lot of details yeah. here. If you go to the drive, the drive.com. Uh, the article goes into a lot of detail, and they have many, many videos of uh, these guys. That looks like the future of war. It almost looks like something from a futuristic movie. You know, yeah. like the robots are after you. It's and speaking of robots, we <laughs> I did invoke the name of uh, driverless cars. You have this article oh, about robo-taxis being yeah. tested in two cities. So, you know, we had it in San Francisco, right? Oh, yeah. And they also tested it in another city as well. Um but only San Francisco is the one that seemed to have the problem. So this this story seems like it's blaming San Francisco. It was San Francisco and Phoenix, where Cruz, Waymo, whatever, they did all these tests, right? And they've been gathering data. They've been beta testing. They've been giving rides for free. They've been seeing how everything works. Although it seems like every time there's an accident, they kind of explain it away as to why it wasn't the robo-taxi's fault. Yeah, they've stopped how... with the free rides, by the way. Oh, that's no more? Yeah, that's no more. Because the CPUC approved it, and now you got to pay up. Yeah. But apparently, in Phoenix, everything went great. No problem. And no complaints. All is well. Uh, smooth as silk. It was only San Francisco where we've had the issues. So, uh, Phoenix, um, they say, is America's second densest city and San Francisco really? served as laboratories for, um, yeah. Phoenix is the second densest city in the U.S.? I find that yeah, surprising. That's what they said. Yeah, it's, they say that they've um, served as labs for this technology. Yeah. San Francisco's experience, spotty. Phoenix, though, they say could be a window in how these robo-taxis can operate in typical large American cities where the sprawl is abundant yeah. and the car is I was going to say, king. it's a flat city for the most part. Yeah. I, I think it's mostly flat. All the parts I went to, they were not densely populated. They were like, Interesting. It, so maybe yeah, I was just maybe in, the article got it wrong. I don't know. Maybe I was just in certain parts of Phoenix that aren't dense, but I've never heard of Phoenix being dense. But anyway, they, you can't really compare San Francisco to Phoenix. No, San Francisco's I don't think got so. hills and terraces and one-way streets and right. uh, plenty of places to run you over, train tracks, <laughs> you know, interchanges, like, you know, all kinds People of... People everywhere, uh, darting across crosswalks. Yeah, cable cars. <clears throat> They you know. say that robo-taxis, mostly Waymos in Phoenix, 
were an, are a normal presence. They operate yeah. without, mostly without incident. Um, residents are gaining confidence in this technology or growing accustomed to its consistent yeah. or its uh, existence. They say there's been this gradual period of slow, cautious evolution of this technology. And so they think they're getting close to the steep part of the S-curve. Once you get to that steep part, it's like cell phones. Suddenly, they just start proliferating everywhere. And so, um, yeah, they're trying to lure tech companies that are frustrated with regulations here in California. The governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, signs an executive order permitting companies to test the technology there with very little government oversight. Um, in San Francisco, it's different. In San Francisco, it was kind of a disruptive technology. There's all this oversight. They have rules that the DMV they have to follow. All it these processes, things. protocols, and standards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, speaking of and, which, I I went on a ride a, a couple days ago, and I I'm oh. kind of over it. I, I oh. I've heard from people that worked at both at Waymo's much better technology, but mm -hmm. this cruise ride, you know, I'm paying for it now, right? So right. I was like, well, you know what, the lift is a little bit more money, and uh, I need to get home quickly. And I was in the South of Market area, and I and it was like a ten dollar ride. But the route, you don't get to pick the route, right? And there's no driver to be like, hey, what's up with this route, right? right. You can you can give feedback after the fact or you can leave the feedback. But it, the route that it took, you know the city pretty well. It went from Soma all the way out to the Panhandle, uh, did a loop turning north, right-hand turn, right-hand turn, right-hand turn, down through like the Haight-Ashbury area, uh, Ashbury Terrace, over Buena Vista Park, and then huh. back and so we went in this huge long loop and I, you know, I looked at Google Maps and it, it basically added like 10 to 12 minutes to the ride. Um, I, I finally, you know, turned a little Karen on them and, and complained. I'm like, and I asked for an adjustment in my fare. They refunded the fare. But it was like, you're keeping me hostage and taking me on a tour, a residential tour, <laughs> right? Through parts of the city where it's, you know, narrow one-way roads and it's stop signs. And I'm trying to get home, right? And there's no driver uh, to say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? I wonder if... It does that on purpose and picks a route that is less populated, maybe, or the streets are less. Well, this congested. is beyond ridiculous because it's like there are plenty of like, like coming this way. Yeah. There's plenty of straight streets and straight shots. It, it would have been a ten no. It went yeah. way towards Golden Gate Park, way north, and then it went over like a hill. It's going up mountains. It doesn't make any yeah. sense and uh, narrow residential streets. But um, there, these things are not ready. Let me tell you, they're just not ready. No. no. Well, they're ready in Phoenix. They're doing it. Yeah. Well, they want they... you to think that they're ready, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Yeah. In San Francisco, though, you know, there's just so many complaints. And I don't know. I, I mean, you can say it's us, but maybe like, yeah. you, like you were saying, maybe it's just the difference in cities. Well, I've so... just realized, okay, if I pay $2 more and I'm actually giving somebody like work, like they're yeah. making money. Yeah. Although I will say, I was thinking about my daughter the other day, and Nikki and I were talking about, you know, now there's no excuse to drive drunk. And if your kid's out at a party and feeling unsafe, but doesn't want to call you because for whatever reason, they're nervous about parents, all they have to do is, you know, you, you give your child access to your Uber account or whatever, and yeah. they can al always have a ride home. 
But then you have to worry about, well, who's the driver? And you get a 14-year-old right. girl in the backseat who's kind of defenseless. Yeah. And who are the who's in the vehicle? You know, who and so Although what happens when your 14-year-old's in a car that just decides to go keeps haywire? Going. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> go north. Where are you taking my daughter? You've kidnapped my daughter. Oh yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. They're saying that incidents of Waymo uh, cars have decreased tremendously as people become for- more familiar with them. So I wonder if it's a way of like we back away from the Waymo car because we don't necessarily know what it's going to do. So we kind of give it a wide berth because we know that there's no one at the helm. I don't yeah. know. Oh, I saw a case uh, on the on the ride before last that I took where somebody it wasn't their turn to go at a four way stop, but they went in front of us because they knew the car would stop, and it was our turn to go. Interesting. And I've noticed people are doing that on purpose. They're swerving in front of cars because they know that they'll stop. They'll yield. Yeah. I've seen it many, many times, but it happened uh, right that's, before last. That's really awful driving. Yeah. You right. know, that's kind of that San Francisco driving, let me in first, me, me, me. The kind humans of thing. are adapting and evolving as well or devolving. <sighs> uh, I hate that. Yeah. Speaking of humans, this is a long, convoluted story, but I just want to give you the overview here. And if you're interested in it, you can Google this. But, um, A Stanford scientist, he's looking very professorial here, after decades of study, concludes that we do not have free will after all, Kim. I can see him in the forest contemplating free will, yes. Yeah, with a gnome, right? (laughs) Just him and the gnome, like, hey, buddy, yep, yep, (laughs) me too, I getcha. Uh, Before, they say here, before epilepsy was understood to be a neurological condition, people believed it was caused by the moon or by phlegm in the brain. Uh, They Mm -hmm. condemned seizures as evidence of witchcraft or demonic possession and uh, killed or castrated sufferers to prevent that uh, from being passed, Uh, you know, having blood tainted uh, with these uh, diseases to a new generation. Today, we know epilepsy is a disease, right? By and large, it's accepted that a person who causes a fatal traffic accident while in the grip of a seizure should not be charged with murder. That's good, says Stanford uh, University neurobiologist Robert Sapolsky. That's progress, but there's still a long way to go. So after 40 years of studying humans and other primates, he says that he's reached the conclusion that virtually all human behavior is far beyond our conscious control as the convulsions of a seizure, the division of cells, or the beating of our hearts. This means accepting that a man who shoots into a crowd, this is where we're going to lose some people. Mm -hmm. This means that accepting that a man who shoots into a crowd has no more control over his fate than the victims who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It means treating drunk drivers who barrel into pedestrians just like drivers who suffer a a sudden heart attack and veer out of their lane. The world is really screwed up and made much, much more unfair by the fact that we reward people and punish people for things that they have no control over, Sapolsky said. We've got no free will. Stop attributing stuff to us that isn't there. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is like high level, you know, thinking down there at Stanford. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if you're on board with that. Are you on board with that? The man who shoots into the crowd has no more control over his fate than the okay. victims who happen to be in the wrong so place? Here's where I think he misses the bill with this. Yeah. There are things that we have no control over that are instinctual, like taking breath, right? Or right. your heart beating or what have you. So that's true. In those cases, we have no free will. Well, I guess we have a free will over whether our heart beats or not. We have, could choose to stop it if we want right. to, right? But, a biological drive not to or whether we have a disease or epilepsy or seizures or your you can't stop your body from moving those are things that we don't necessarily have choices over but there are a whole nother raft of things where we can use the brain that you could say god gave us or whatever to 
rationally think through things and make choices. So I do have free will. You know, do I want to pick up my phone or do I want to participate in the show with you and look in the camera and, and talk to everyone? Do I want to, you know, go in the other room and curl up with my little son who's homesick? Or do I want to go in, in my bed and take a nap because I just had vaccines and I'm really tired? Like Whatever it is, I get I have a choice. So how do you say I don't have free will? Because I can make these choices for myself. Yeah, it's I don't have to live here in this house. I didn't uh, have to have children. I don't have to be on like the show. Basically, it's like a phil philosophical debate. But Sapolsky right. knows he won't persuade most readers like Kim McAllister. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to convince people who have been harmed that pe uh, that pepper uh, perpetrators perpetrators. Mm -hmm. not people with pepper, uh, deserve less blame because of their history of poverty. It's even harder to convince the well-off that their accomplishments, right, deserve less praise because of their history of privilege. They're kind of a big deal. If you have time to be bummed out by all that, you're one of the lucky ones, he says. His hope, his true hope, he says, is to increase compassion. Maybe if people understand how thoroughly an early history of trauma can rewire a brain, they'll stop lusting after harsh punishments. Maybe if someone realizes that they have a brain condition like depression or ADHD, that they'll stop right. hating themselves for struggling with tasks that seem easier for others. Well, that's true, but that's different than, you know, using not having free will because your heart's beating as an excuse yeah. to misbehave and make poor choices. So he's saying that um, some of our current beliefs about personal responsibility may eventually be undone by scientific discovery. We are all machines, he argues, exceptional in our ability to perceive our own experiences and emotions about them, but it is pointless to hate a machine for its failures. Um, he says, it is logically indefensible, ludicrous, meaningless to believe that something good can happen to a machine. Nonetheless, I am certain that it is good if people feel less pain and more happiness. Okay. And as Vicky says, yeah. that professor is a nut. Well, my will is to fire the hippie professor. He is so wrong um <laughs> and john wants to fire him as well i think maybe he has some valid points but yeah. his i mean i don't think it's based in common sense and i don't think that it's ever good to say we don't have a choice in life because then it really kind of um takes away the whole personal responsibility argument right that you know the the, motivation to try to, to strive to do, to good, do good right you know. Or to do well in life. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, his well, kids probably act up in the restaurant setting. It's yeah. okay. It's not your fault. Right. It's not your fault that you're an entitled brat. It's just the yeah. way it is. You have no choice over it. Yeah. Um, what would the professor say when he's mugged? I, 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 it, that just bothers me. Because you can't, yeah. You, if, if that was the common thought, that you have no personal responsibility over anything you do in life because you just had this in your past and that's just the right. way it is. You were harmed. Think about the chaos that that would, you know, create. Yeah. Laurie says he's uh, taking to extreme to promote discussion. I think he's missing the mark. Right. Or maybe he's just trying to spend his grant money. He's studied this for 40 years. Yeah. 40 years. This he, is one of those needs, things. He those needs a little more adversity in his life. It's one of those discussions that, you know, you have after you've been drinking for a little bit. Yeah. What is the meaning of life? And do we have free will? I, I don't know. Do you think we have free will or do you think everything is kind of preordained? I think we have free will within the confines of things that we can't control. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah. You're going to be limited. Yeah. You're going to be course corrected and limited by forces above, above and beyond us. Um, but. You know, speaking of things that'll bum you out, what's up next, Kim? 
<sighs> really? Yeah, thank, this one's for you. Can I thank Luis? I'm exercising my free will and sending you a super chat. <laughs> Thanks for the couple bucks, Luis. Rock on, my friend. Mahalo. Uh, okay, this is a creepy, creepy, creepy thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that I want it on me, but this is an off switch for Shigella bacterial infections. They mm. say we can actually treat diseases before we ever get them, before they even begin. So, you know, shig shigellosis, it's, it's kind of a gut-wrenching thing when you I've get it. it. Diarrhea, abdominal pain, fever, it kills 600,000 people a year. 600,000 die from this. Ah. Um, they think that by tweaking a specific protein in the Shigella bacteria, in the DNA, bacteria DNA, it could prevent it from becoming infectious. So they can change this bacteria to not be harmful to people. And they say the research they've done on this could open the door to prevent deadly bacterial infections before they strike in other bacteria as well, saving millions of lives. This is the, kind of the good part in technology. But they yeah. say what we're seeing with this one protein in this one bacterium, there's room for it to be applied to other proteins and other clinically relevant bacteria as well. So Shigella bacteria passed through fecal matter leads to about 80 million cases of Shigella, Shigellosis worldwide, makes people really sick. Again, kills 600,000 around the world every year. And the VRB switch protein produced by Shigella bacteria triggers a series of actions that cause it to become infectious. But when you interfere with the expression of that protein, it disables the bacteria and it blocks it from being able to cause illness at all. Wow. They're trying to translate this into a treatment or a cure for patients. They think that this application could extend beyond shigellosis, though. But I mean, and I guess you'd have to have then the tampered with bacteria be the one that proliferates. So how do you stamp out the one going around the world in water and, you know. And does it have free will? Does it have free will? Can it can it be a tampered with? I don't know. They kind of look like Pepto-Bismol cheese puffs. With they the do. Fur. Pink ones, yeah. hairy ones. Yeah. The Shigella bacteria has genetic material that determines how it behaves and who it infects. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting research, and we'll, hopefully it, it leads to more people not getting sick at all and, um, and dying. You know, I think as a, a mom, they tell you to be careful of shigellosis, especially at daycare centers, because a lot of people change diapers and then maybe don't wash their hands in between. So it yeah. can sicken a lot of kids. And then, you know, kids probably, are fragile. Probably the dads that are changing the diapers. No, never. Mm -mm. But I hope it works. I hope it works out. I just don't understand the transition to how you you genetically alter a, a bacteria and then versus the that bacteria being out in the world how do you make this one stamp out that one i don't know well it's kind of like genetically yeah. modified corn and all that food's kind of uh, yeah. it's, it's the future it's coming ai yeah. is going to kill us uh, genetically modified things are going to kill mm -hmm. us but uh while we contemplate that why don't we take a break
Let's do it. And when we come back, we'll talk about this place in San Rafael. And I think this is so interesting, especially since we're seeing all this war propaganda coming out of the Middle East, Mm -hmm. um, to take a look at what's going on in Marin County, where there's a museum totally devoted to propaganda. So we'll take a look at that. And also, uh, we'll look at Halloween costumes for celebrities and what the SAG after a union is saying. And we have news about Jelly Belly and Fairfield too. And we'll do all that right when we come back here on the After Party Live. Stay tuned for this propaganda. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. And without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute 10, 15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated, and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. It is the After Party Live. We want to thank uh, ongoing contributor Jim S. for continuing to support the show. Super thanks to Jim S. And super chatter, Harry, $5. I guess I should have known better. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) Pretty good. Thank you. A Wes $20 uh, shout out. Thank you. And happy Friday to you too, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Hope things are going well in Florida. Kathleen Bryant for $20. Your super sticker is much appreciated. Thank you so much, my friend. And Luis, for $2, exercising his free will to send a super chat. Well done. Thank you so much. We thank you, and the yeah. uh, the uh, YouTube AI thanks you. That's right. We all thank you. All right, let's go back to the story about this propaganda museum, because I yeah, think this, this is, is pretty so cool. interesting. I yeah. wanted to do this for a couple of days now, um, and I think you found this story, um, and uh, I will scroll until I find it. Uh, mm. This is a propaganda museum in San Rafael. Uh, so Tom Ariton, he's 75 years old. He's devoted much of his life to the pursuit of propaganda. And he's traveled to nearly 100 countries. Oh, wow. Alongside of his wife, uh, Lilka, to track down rare items and uh, artwork that symbolize institutional ideology, such as a watch gifted to soldiers by the Chinese government after Tiananmen Square. Uh, but long before he began traversing the globe looking for propaganda, it had a profound effect on him and his family. He was born in Czechoslovakia. And here he is. Uh, while it was under social rule by the Soviet Union, he became familiar with nationalistic messaging at a very early age. Uh, an oil painting of a Soviet soldier liberating a village of Slovak children hung on the wall of his high school, right? Today, after a long bureaucratic battle with customs agents, it graces the walls of his museum. Just two miles away at the Mount Tamalpais Cemetery, another marker demonstrates propaganda's effect on the curator's life. A recently installed tomb known as the Centipath memorializes thank Hmm. you the 57 members of Ireton's extended family who died in the Holocaust compared to landmark museums like San Francisco's Day Young uh, and Legion of Honor the Museum of International Propaganda is a modest operation blending into the small town landscape of San Rafael it's tucked into a corner of a shopping center alongside a salon and a Pilates studio Mm. and it's the storefront formerly um, that housed the Kinney Shoes until he took over in 2016 so this is pretty cool and I have one yeah. more photo here. Enemy ears are listening. I've been to a bunch of these types of uh, propaganda museums in uh, Eastern Europe and um, mm-hmm. in, in uh, Central Europe. Uh, always fascinating to see the propaganda that all these uh, regimes used over the years to convince the people to be you know, loyal patriotic citizens so what's interesting is people just drop stuff off here like they had a Nazi uh, ashtray 
dropped off at the, uh, they found it on their front porch, but they have all kinds of the, and they separate the propaganda from religious to political to wartime. Yeah. And it just, the pictures that they have, I, I need to go there and check it out. Do you it think the people with the like Nazi, like uh, ashtray are like, what are we going to do with this? And then finally like, Oh, you know I know what, I what we can do. I think I it was, get away with it. I think it was probably someone who died and their family went in to probably clear out right. their property. And they're like, no, and they're no, like, no, no, no. What are we no. going to do with this Nazi ashtray? And I mean, it's like five feet tall, four feet tall, it's with a big Nazi swastika on the bottom. And they're four probably feet thinking, tall? an ashtray? It's, well, I don't know, four feet tall, but th- at least three or four feet tall. How I much think. were they yeah. smoking? I don't know. It's like one of those, t- it's a tall one where you would walk out of a doorway and it would be. Oh, and you, you like know, drop your cigarette into it. Yeah, that type of thing. Oh. So, and they find they found it on their porch, but I, I perfect place to drop it off, I guess. Yeah. Interesting though. Yeah, I'm fascinated. I really want to go see it. Yeah. So that's um, in San Rafael. Uh, if mm-hmm. you want to check it out, um, right, it looks right in cool. my backyard. Right. Yeah. Uh, to let's en- do some entertainment news. Yeah, to entertainment news. Now the actors are still on strike with SAG-AFTRA, yeah. and Halloween is a coming. Right. And SAG-AFTRA is saying, don't dress up like movie characters, oh. right? We're not promoting movies. We're not promoting these films the right movies. now. Don't yeah. do movie studios any favors by dressing up and promoting any of the movies. So they are uh, not wanting them to dress up like Barbie. They're not wanting them to dress up like Wednesday, as you see here. They're saying no. They have cus- uh, costume guidelines for actors. And all the popular characters... And uh, kind of movie things from content uh, that they don't want them to be have pictures taken and then be posted on social media. So they're saying some of the most popular costumes like Barbie and Wednesday won't be allowed. Instead, actors are supposed to choose costumes inspired by generalized characters and figures. You could be a ghost. You could be a zombie or a spider. But don't be... A movie character, so right. that's the that's what they're trying to say. And I imagine they're mostly concerned with the current uh, productions, the things that are still making money for these companies, yeah, right? Marvel characters, all these yeah. things, things that would help. You know, if they, someone catches a picture of a celebrity in a right. you know whatever, they might go see the movie. Blue Beetle yeah. suit or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. don't do it. And mm-hmm. uh, speaking of SAG, after uh, there was other news. Did you see hear what George Clooney did? George Clooney and a group Hi, of other A-listers yeah, have brought a bold proposal to SAG after leaders suggesting that the union remove the cap on dues for high-earning members in order to infuse more funds into the union's coffers over the course of three years. The idea huh. behind the proposal is for the major st- uh, stars like Clooney to pay more in dues than is currently required. They're currently capped at $1 million in earnings. Wow. Can you imagine if your SAG dues? My SAG dues are not $1 million. No, uh, <laughs> although sometimes it feels like it. Uh, yeah, it's a lot when you, especially yeah. when you don't get much in return. Um, in order to help bridge the gap between what the union is seeking in 2023 negotiations uh, with entertainment studios and what the Alliance of Motion Pictures and Television Producers is willing to give them. Um, now, in the meantime, uh, uh, the SAG has come back and uh, Fran Drescher has said, we appreciate it. We graciously accept the funds. You know, they've given a lot of money to their foundation. But unfortunately, it's not going to stop the negotiations over this contract because they are a federally, federally regulated uh, union, right? Mm-hmm. And the money for the, the health care and the retirement accounts and all that has to come from the employer. So they can't take this money and, and give it directly to uh, the actors. But they can 
use this to help, uh, part of this proposal is to help give uh, lesser known actors first dibs at uh, residuals. In, in, instead of the A-listers getting first shot at it. I so. tend to think it's a drop in the bucket for these movie studios. Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like that George wants to do something nice, but I think yeah. the money is probably better spent in that fund, the Actors' Equity Fund, right. where when you go on strike, you pay, you know, it helps to pay salaries right. or whatever. I don't know. I just don't think it's going to be enough. Yeah, there's a lot of ancillary movement. funds for like people yeah. who are like destitute or somebody, you know, couldn't afford their burial or th things like that. There's a lot of uh, those uh, funds. So I always it's screw so. up this man's name. Suge Knight. Sh is it Suge? Because I want to. I always want to say Suge. No, Suge, Suge Knight. Knight. Yo. Suge Not Knight. Not a good guy. This is a bad dude. No, he he's big in the hip hop industry, right? And he's in jail, where apparently Wait, he's allowed what? to start a podcast. It doesn't, you know, Wait, we don't have to be good. We people could have to committed be. crimes first. Yes, we could be doing this show from the big house. That's right. They've already done five episodes. It's called Collect Call with Suge Knight. <laughs> oh, so there, there, there's no actual microphone here. This is just, uh, okay, I get it. It's it, They're actually phone calls that are recorded. No, 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 no. They go to prison and they record it. Yeah. You're allowed to do that? Yeah, apparently you can. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. And eat, like to, as a commercial enterprise and make money, that just seems wrong. Mm. Like, I would think that would be a violation of the processes, protocols, and standards of the I prison. would think you are right. The TMZ hip hop uh, the area or department. Division, yeah. Division, division the division of the hip hop division whoop, whoop, whoop. to TMZ. Hip hop division. Uh, whoop, whoop. They got the first intro to Collect Call with Suge Knight, which is his new podcast with Breakbeat Media CEO and the Source Magazine founder, Dave Mays. They've done five of these episodes containing half-hour conversations each. The official podcast launches Halloween of 2023. It's just a few more days for you guys. Uh, and the, they say it's like a tell-all. So... Suge isn't supposed to leave much overturned or unturned when it comes to hip hop. They will be talking about Snoop Dogg, uh, the Death Row brand, Master P, Wack 100, right. Warren G. Essentially, they say everyone's out on notice. Uh, it's not only about slinging mud, though. Suge wants the younger generation to benefit from his experiences, both good and bad, and they'll be looking to connect with older artists and fielding questions from the audience as well. These uh, podcast episodes will be dropped weekly and video on Fridays on all major platforms. So interesting. Vicky's yeah. asking what is his crime? He mowed somebody down. Um, he's serving a 28-year prison sentence for a 2015 hit-and-run murder uh, during the yeah. filming of Straight Out of Compton. Mm -hmm. It was a Compton businessman who was mowed down and killed. And yeah. he, I mean... If you follow, like, you know, the, the history of, you know, him working with, you know, rap artists uh, like Tupac, uh, this is not a good he's, dude. This, he's a bad I'm sure guy. there are many crimes yeah. that uh, did not get uh, prosecuted. Yeah. Not a good dude. If you've Gangwater. watched movies or documentaries on this, it's like he does not come out looking good at all. No, no, no. No. And hopefully he's not watching our podcast. I'm, yeah. Leave <laughs> us alone, Shug. <laughs> We're I not am... going to collab. Well, he's now we're colleagues. He's a fellow podcaster. So it all, you know, no, right, no, have to no, be. no, 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 no. So from that horribleness to this right. story, there is a difference between being nice and being kind. Oh, and you would think it would be the same thing. Tell me more. But it isn't. It isn't. 
And the difference, they say, is very, very significant. So being nice is like being polite and being pleasant and being just generally agreeable, right? You're being Good day, nice. Sir. You're nice. I'm nice to you. Being kind is an active word. Being kind is is taking action. So um, if I was nice, I would bid you good morning. If I'm kind, when someone is trying to hurt you or shows prejudice to you, to you or whatever, I step in and I'm right. I show you my kindness, right? Yeah. So they say that's the difference. That being nice is about being polite, civilized, demonstrating high levels of social skills and etiquette. But no, um, being kind is a little bit different. That being kind takes nice a bit further than being gracious yeah. and generous and empathetic. It's harder to uh, be fake uh, mm -hmm. if you're being kind. So if you, if you want to be fake, you would be fake nice. Being kind involves action and intentions beyond just politeness or niceness. Both mm. demonstrate good social skills in a gracious manner, but being kind is a higher level of engagement, behavioral intentions, and commitment than being nice. So being so kind... So if you hold a door open for somebody, that goes beyond being nice. That would be a kind that's gesture. That's right. You you're taking an action. Nice being, would be like, hello, how are you? Mm -hmm. day, or so. smiling as someone walks by or, yeah. you know, saying please and thank you. Being kind generally requires greater effort and time. Kindness is proactive and care-oriented, whereas niceness is reactive and eye-oriented. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if you could just teach Gen Z... Everything you just said, I appreciate that. Thanks. Kindness moves beyond feelings and conveniences. It's a deliberate choice to bring encouragement, support, or appreciation to yourself or to other people. Nice is pleasant, but it, it comes without any pain. It's non-sacrificial. It rarely makes a lasting difference. Most actions in kindness, kindness are inconvenient. It almost always costs us something, time, effort, comfort, pride, ego. But it's those intentional knowing sacrifices that make it meaningful. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. And, and I, and I hope you're, you're teaching your kids to be both nice and kind, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good on you. Yeah, that's my thing, being nice. And you know now, what? Speaking it's, of kids, yes? I was just going to say, when someone comments that my kids were kind or um, pleasant or um, did something lovely for someone, I am always more pleased and touched by that than I am, say, a good report card. I mean, that's great. But when someone says, oh, your son, you know, so when my daughter was crying on my, the first day of school, your son helped her and walked her into class or something. That always makes me feel so much better. Like, oh, thank you. That's good. Yeah. Well, if they are uh, pleasant and kind, you might reward them by going to Jelly Belly, Jelly mm. Belly Factory. But the news here is that it's been sold. What? I am worried. I don't think they're going to sell the Jelly Belly Visitor Center in Fairfield, but anytime a new company comes in, you got to wonder, are they going to close it down? They might sell this uh, blow-up Jelly Belly that's sitting no. on the... What is he sitting on? Like A, a Jelly yellow... Belly box. Yeah. Oh, box. Okay. I thought maybe it was a stick of butter. Um, Fairfield candy maker, <laughs> the Jelly Belly Candy Company, will be acquired by Chicago-based Ferrara Candy Company. Uh, the company says once the sale is finalized, Jelly Belly's 800 employees across facilities in California, California, Illinois, and Thailand will be part of the, I didn't know they were in Thailand, will be part of the Ferrara organization. We are excited to bring Jelly Belly's imaginative products and talented team to the Ferrara community. 
according to their CEO. The Jelly Belly Factory and Visitor Center has been a popular attraction in Northern California for years. Ferrara is the distributor of a number of popular U.S. candies, including Sweet Tarts and Butterfinger. Jelly Belly says it expects the sale to close by the end of the year. The company would go on to become Jelly Belly was founded and headquartered in Illinois starting in 1869. Before, I didn't know that. Before moving to California in the 20th century. Um, Ferrara Candy Company is a subsidiary of the international confectionery conglomerate Ferrero Group. So that would be like Ferrero Rocher, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the maker of Nutella, Tic Tacs. Despite the similar names, the two candy companies were unrelated in their founding and existed as separate companies for decades until the Italy-based Ferraro, Ferrero uh, purchased the American company Ferrara uh, in 2017. That's so interesting. Yeah, I hope everything's okay with them, that it's going to be all right. I... Jelly Belly, are you okay? Jelly Belly, Jelly Belly, don't leave us. Um, there is a little museum in that place, in the Jelly Belly Visitor Center and Factory. Yeah. So you can see like where they make the Jelly Belly, like where the magic happens. And you but can buy also... the big bags of belly flops. Yeah, that's right. Belly like flops, mi- that's right. Mis- misshapen jelly beans. The, the, the mistakes. They're mostly you like can... fused together. You can also see the artwork they have. And remember this picture? Right. It's a Jelly Belly picture of Ronald Reagan. Well. Because remember, he loved Jelly Bellies and they were always on his desk or whatever. Yeah. So they have this, they have lot, lots of art there that are, it's really interesting to go see. I would hate for them to close that. There's a lot of field trips up to the Jelly Belly Center. Kids I don't field think trips. they'll close it. No, I hope not. It's too popular. And, and it's, it's like basically though. like a Jelly Belly, yeah. uh, Jelly Bean outlet mall. And they're on 80, so they get a lot of traffic. They're yeah. going back and forth in Sacramento and San Francisco. I hope uh, so. So speaking of um, of treasures, Ooh. you've got this treasure map. What is this about? I do have a treasure map. Look at this. This is a 4,000-year-old rock with mysterious markings. And archaeologists say it's really become kind of a treasure map for them. They are using it to hunt for ancient site, ancient sites around northwestern France. It's called the St. Bellic Slab. It was found at the site of a tomb. This is a movie, I'm telling you. Right. It claimed as Europe's oldest known map by researchers in 2021. And ever since... They've been trying to understand what is it exactly that's etched on here. Is that a map? And where is it telling us to go? They're trying to date this slab. They're trying to rediscover lost monuments. And using this map, they're trying to find archaeological sites. And they say, we never work like this. The ancient sites are more commonly uncovered by sophisticated radar equipment or maybe aerial photography or by accident, when foundations for new buildings are being dug and someone finds something. Yeah, Vicky, that's a real stretch to call that a map. Hey, it's rudimentary, okay? It's an ancient yeah, you map. Know, if I saw that, like, <laughs> say, say it was in Yosemite near the visitor center, I would be like, uh-huh. oh, that's cool. I would not think that that was a map. I would think that somebody was, like, doodling mm. with little faces. They say it is a treasure map. That's what it is. That it marks an area about 30 by 21 kilometers And they will need to survey this entire territory and cross-reference the markings on that slab. And they think it will take 15 years to do it. Imagine spending 15 years of your life trying to make heads or tails of what somebody's etched into a rock 4,000 years ago. They should go to Stanford and work with the the guy who's spending 40 (laughs) years on free will. They say that this uh, map, they knew it was a map because it had symbols that made sense to them right away 
they um they said in the coarse bumps and lines of the slab, they could see the rivers and the mountains of Rudelec, part of the Brittany region. I know I said that wrong. I'm sorry. About 500. Co- uh, no, Rudelec. Rud- oh. uh 500 kilometers west of Paris. So they scanned the slab. They compared it with current maps and they found an 80% match. Right. So that's how they know So they're still trying to figure out what all these geometric symbols are and the legend that goes with them. But it has tiny hollows and researchers think that could point to burial mounds, dwellings or geological deposits. So if it is a map and if all that's true, it could lead to a whole bunch of new finds. So they're digging where the slab was originally uncovered, and they're trying to contextualize and date the slab, and they're doing all kinds of research on it. It apparently was broken off and used as a tomb wall. And so there may be more to this map if they can find uh, other pieces of it. There Doug is go. saying it looks like ancient Egyptian or African. Uh, mm. Tesla is saying you need an AI chat GPT to read it. Uh, Mo saying it lasted over 4,000 years. It's a perfect try. It would be funny if they spent all this effort and it just turned out to be like some Nothing. kid was like doodling. It's like, here, <laughs> sit in the corner with your, your tablet, you know, and, and entertain and yourself. It. We're going to go on the hunt. We'll be back later. Um, yeah, Vicky makes a good point. They have too much time on their hands. They do. Well, it's going to take 15 years, 15 years of your life to map this thing. Them, they, uh, they have too much time. The guy at Stanford spending 40 years on free yeah. will and um, the study people, the study the people, study they people should all get together, time. you know, and then and, and hang out. They say this map, probably this area on the map corresponds to an ancient kingdom, perhaps one that collapsed in revolts and rebellions. Teenage boys doodling boobs. Yeah, John. that's what I was thinking. <laughs> it looks like boobs. Um, moving on, uh, speaking of teenagers, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut and Chipotle have announced, uh, I went with the pizza, uh, picture and not the Chipotle. Mm -hmm. They have both announced that they will close later in a bid for Gen Z cravings. Pizza Hut and Chipotle Grill are here to answer Gen Z's late night cravings. Both companies announced this on Wednesday that they are extending their operating hours in select stores. Uh, Pizza Hut, who's owned by Yum Brands, said thousands of Pizza Hut locations would stay open until midnight or later, with some restaurants open as late as 2 a.m. The company's full menu will be available for delivery and and carryout. Chipotle is extending their operating hours until midnight in 53 college towns on Halloween as part of its yearly burrito, burrito, get it, (laughs) promotion. The promotion gives rewards, uh, it rewards a discounted, uh, I think it's a burrito, a burrito on Halloween if you're dressed up. Uh, that's my memory of that promotion. Both mm-hmm. companies have said that uh, it's a bid to appeal to younger consumers uh, and their penchant for late night cravings. And uh, I think that's really smart. And developing I mean, horrible yeah. eating habits. <laughs> well, kids are going to, especially college kids, right? They're going to yeah. go get those carbs. study or they're going to go party. And then when the party's over, they then they're going to want to eat something. And yeah. what do you do? Pizza Hut. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Chipotle found that eighty, a little over 80% of their customers between 18 and 26 years old said they would like to see Chipotle open until midnight. Over the past two years, Chipotle has seen a 30% increase in transactions after 8 p.m. on Halloween. Yum! is no stranger to running late-night food joints. Of course, they have KFC and Taco Bell, and they're open late in a lot of markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and the latter has been a, a fan favorite, of course, Taco Bell. So, uh, especially you, among your weed smokers. Do you, do you ever, I mean, do you eat 
are you on like a schedule where you always have dinner at a certain time or are you ever mm. like a late night eater where you know you don't really think about eating until 10 o'clock at night well i'm on a like a restricted diet so mm. i eat around six o'clock and basically i eat when i'm hungry where my body's like okay i get it we were mm -hmm. intermittent fasting earlier but it's time to eat and then i recognize like okay i need to eat now yeah. um during the rest of the day it's not snacking per se it's just small meals but then dinner is around six yeah you know? Yeah. I have a teenager, not a college age teenager, but a young teenager. Yeah. And she will not eat. Like there are times where she just doesn't feel she's busy. She's doing things. She doesn't want to mm. eat. She doesn't think about eating. When you tell her to eat, then it's of course the minute you tell her to do something, she doesn't want to do that. Are you talking about like sitting down for dinner as a family? Sometimes. Sometimes we'll be out. Like it, we won't be able to sit down for dinner as a family because she'll have band practice. Um, okay from four to seven and then you know from seven to nine or something and else practice is happening. from four to seven that's drumline practice yeah Jesus so there's Christo. always something going on and sometimes she doesn't think about eating until nine nine thirty at night which i know is not good for her and that's not yeah. common because most of the time we have dinner as a family yeah. but uh there are times when we have these moments. So I could see that that would be helpful for a lot of people. One thing I would love for you guys to do now that everyone's filled in is to click the like button. I forgot to ask you to do it earlier. If you could click the like, we'd appreciate it. And if you're here and haven't subscribed, you uh, please click the subscribe button as well. We appreciate all the help Pretty we can please. get. Pretty please. I'll be nice, not kind, and ask you to please click the like and subscribe. So thank you for that. Um, on that happy note, let's go back to San Francisco. What's going on yeah. in San Francisco, Kim? So there's this person who has now done this kind of TikTok video-y thing. And first they'll show you a really cool monument in San Francisco, right? Like right. Palace of Fine Arts or something beautiful. cable car turned around or something San Francisco is known for where, you know, it makes your heart swell for just a moment and then... They flash other videos of vacant storefronts nearby. So, you know, it'll be like, um, let's see. Uh, it's just a, a very quick video. And it'll be with papered over windows and for lease signs and all this. It started by, this man started doing it in Santa Monica, where he lives. Then he did it in Beverly Hills. And now he's doing it in other places like San Francisco. And so... You know, I, and I don't know what the point is, except to just point out the negative instead of the positive, because how do you, you don't fix the vacant storefronts by pointing them out. You fix the vacant storefronts by, you know, singing the city's praises, right? And making people want to come or maybe Hiring not. enough police to keep uh, right. the environment safe. No, that's a, that's know. the major issue for people, especially people who are in the suburbs, who uh, my mom included, who stopped coming into the city because they don't want to spend their money here. They don't want to get mugged. They don't want to get robbed in an environment yeah. where people are just running out the door with uh, products. Uh, it's a multi-pronged uh, problem, as we've covered here on the show and on Mark's show. Well, of all the cities that he's highlighted with the yeah. vacant storefront thing, San Francisco gets the most attention of his videos because... It's in the media right now. A lot of people are talking about it. He likes to look at the vacant storefronts from um, luxury fashion brands um, and highlights kind of highlights that. So he tries to uh, put music to match the vibe of a neighborhood as well. 
and throwback songs and nostalgia. So he creates this element of nostalgia, and then boom, you pop with the with the empty storefronts. So, yeah, kind of a negative thing. Yeah, Vicky's asking what is his motive. I think his motive is probably clicks and views. Yeah, I think so. Click like and subscribe. We can understand that. Mm, yeah, we we can. Although I think our motivation is different, which is to have a conversation and share ideas and talk about interesting stories that you might not have heard about yet. Whatever. I don't it's think not we're really be... click. We're not uh, clickbaity. No, I don't think. Mm-mm. No, yeah, I don't think so either. Unless you're really into Shigella. He says, um, it's been insane. I didn't think it would turn into this because he does have a lot of clicks on these videos. Yeah, he said, go. I just want to give the people what they want to see. And yeah. I guess what they want to see is negative San Francisco images. Speaking so. of which, Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> Speaking da-da. of clicks. Um, so yeah. I think that's it for today. This is it for, uh, oh, for Friday. I, wanna, I hate when we end on a sad note. Let's end well, on a happy let's note. Not, let's not end on a sad note. Let's thank Joy. Thank you. Oh, Joy. Joy or oh, Joy, I'm sorry. Joy, Joy, for $5, all hail Kim, the best voice in Post Station X Apocalypse. Well, you're very kind, Joy. Thank you very much. Um, Don't tell Mark Of that. course, we have, yeah, we have the Nikki Maduro show. So Nikki is on. We've got the Mark Thompson show. We've got John Daly here. So we have a lot of former Station I wasn't worried about Nikki being offended. I was just, yeah, yeah. Mark might take but issue Thank with you, that. Joy. What a kind thing. Luis for $2 and free will. Thank you, Luis, for always supporting the show. Harry with a $5 super sticker and a gnome better joke. And Kathleen for 20 and also we have Wes uh, for 20 so happy Friday to you and too. Jim Satan thank you oh, very much Jim. for your ongoing support Jim did you uh, Jim oh yes ongoing contributor Jim thank you yes, yes, yes. and thanks to everyone who helps us support the show thank you for being here again a like and a subscribe click goes a long way have an awesome weekend you guys we will see you right back here on Monday John Daly have a re- really good weekend have a great weekend everybody and see you later Kim bye bye out of time <laughs> 